0: Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money, and for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot finances does not need to be the most hated F word. I hope you enjoy this conversation with James Mac McPartlin. For the last three years, Mac and myself have been talking about the power of story, the power of my story and the power of each other's story. And I really hope you enjoy this conversation as we discuss why our stories are the greatest asset that we have. But first, The Most Hated F Word is teaming up with Junior Achievement as we are putting on a four-part virtual money and mindset conference. The theme is Resilience from Your Minds to Your Wallet. And it's taking place starting on November 18th. And it will go for four weeks after November 18th and ending on December 9th. Every Wednesday at 12 noon Mountain Standard. We have 11 amazing speakers, some entrepreneurs, some personal finance experts all talking about resilience from your minds to your wallet. I promise you this will be money well spent and at $20 to access all 11 speakers, I'm sure you will enjoy the information. You can head over to the most hated backslash events for more information. Hope to see you out. Welcome back to the Most Hated F Word Podcast. Today, I am extremely happy to have James Kevin McPartland, aka Mac, Thank you. who is a mentor of mine, a friend of mine, and an overall wonderful human. But I'm going to read Mac's bio. So Mac is an executive coach, author, and keynote speaker. He is the founder of a training and consulting organization, helping leaders and their teams access breakthrough performance to elevate business results. A longtime student of the science of achievement, Mac has over 25 years of experience working with organizations to sustainably generate greater success, inspire innovation, and accelerate growth. He's worked with CEOs and executives in companies such as Bank America, IBM, Nespresso, Kellogg's, Dow Chemical, Athletes First, 24-Hour Fitness, and the most hated effort, got to add that now, <laughs> to transform the organization cultures into ones of enthusiastic dedication, aligned collaboration, peak performance, and exceptional accomplishment. Mac is the author of the critically acclaimed Unopened Gifts, a non-traditional business novel series aimed at helping leaders recognize how their personal issues and style contribute to their business's challenges and how to change them. As an endurance athlete, Mac has recorded nine Ironman finishes, 40 marathons, and even completed 13 races in one year. His passion for sports and fitness has led him to work with many professional athletes and teams in areas of professional development, organization improvement, and helping them elevate their daily performance both on and off the field. I've personally been fortunate enough to work with Mac for the last three years, and uh, I can't say how much he's made a difference in my personal life, with my kids, my wife, myself, and professional life. So Mac, it's true honor to have you on my show today.
1: Sean, the gift is mine, my friend. You're giving me time. You're giving me a chance to share some of life lessons, or at least the ones that I've come across, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you.
0: Ah, thank you. So, Mac, something we've talked a lot about is the power of story. I'm introducing somebody who's an executive coach and talking about story on a finance podcast. So someone might be like, no, let's talk about investments. But I think that in and itself is a story that we tell ourselves should be on a finance podcast. But we've talked a lot about the power of story. And over the years, I've realized how much of an impact our stories have on us. And a lot of times how unconsciously, at least for myself, uh, unaware I was of that story. So I want to read a quote. And a quote you might recognize because it's yours. The most powerful story you'll ever tell about yourself is the story you tell to yourself. So again, that's the most powerful story you'll ever tell about yourself is the story you tell to yourself. So, Mac, why don't you share with us, what is your story? How did it bring you to where you are now? And then maybe transition into why you believe so much in the power of stories based on the people you've worked with in your life.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Sean. really appreciate that. And you've obviously started with the simplest,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: So it sounds simple and maybe like many things that are simple aren't easy. So I'm happy to tell you this story. So growing up, Irish Catholic kid born in Brooklyn, New York, right? That is south of you find true North Americans up there in Canada. And what was embedded in me, much like embedded in any child as they're growing up, is the story that I wasn't good enough, that perhaps I was a mistake. And that was reinforced in a lot of, let's call it unhealthy ways. When that is downloaded into a human being, this case being me, because the big people in our life tell us that's the story, we begin to believe it because they're the big people, they're the authorities. And we'll look for evidence to reinforce it. So we end up taking, in that story and adopting it into our own story. So my story was that I wasn't good enough and I wouldn't measure up. And what I sought to do over time when I got a little bit older in life is to see if I could outrun that story. And I thought that would be on the sports field because that would make my dad happy. And when that didn't get his attention, it was in the field of business. And I thought I was running towards something and didn't in terms of accomplishment and doing things that people told me I'd never be able to do. And I actually found I was actually running from something. And running from that story was actually the real story. The ball and chain was, hey, you'll never amount to anything. You're not good enough. And I've come to find over time that the narrative that's created for us happens in our youth. And it isn't until there's a setback or a disruption that has us look at the belief that we've adapted or adopted from somebody else, how that plays out in how we talk to ourselves, and how that embedded belief of our identity which starts in that early age, gets played out through the rest of our life. Or put another way, many of us are driven by the voice of a seven and eight-year-old about how life is going to be. And so I recognized that it perpetuated how my life was manifesting. And then I realized with the input of somebody who was working and coaching me is that's a story, but there are many other stories available. And if I had the courage to ask people about their life and their journey, I recognized that, well, I actually, as the architect of that story, maybe much of that script written for me, that I could actually take my pen and rewrite that script and practice a new narrative, a new story, just to see what the outcome would be. I could always go back to the original of thinking that wasn't really serving me and find out if I could modify that and if the story aspect of it was true. So I find, you know, wrapping this up, that my story around many categories of life, my health, my well-being, my business, my success, my identity, my view of money, and other aspects of my life was all a narrative that I created or adopted that was either propelling me or in many cases limiting me. And I didn't realize I was doing it to myself.
0: I never knew that about you. And you make <laughs> a few things here. You said something that your stories, whether it's on the sports field or in business, you were trying to outrun that story. Yes. And that made me think then directly towards money. And often I see people get so focused on saving for retirement or trying to build up a business. And you talked about that in the sports field for yourself, that didn't work. So you went to business. And something I actually didn't know about you is you ran a company that was into the, if I'm not mistaken, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. And if the sports story didn't work, and say we look at a money story, I guess what made you change? You're not running that company anymore. You got to this level Mm -hmm. of seemingly success in the money world. $200 $200 million of revenue in a company seems very successful, but I'm assuming something happened to your story because you're not doing that anymore.
1: Yeah, great discovery there, right, in our discussions Yeah. You know, it's playing out that story, Sean, and I continue to play out that story. Well, if 50 million is not enough, it's got to be 100. If 100 is not Uh enough, it's got to be 150. There's always more. And the recognition I have in myself and other people is we tend to do more of (laughs) right? what we have memorized habitually and subconsciously as behaviors, even though we tell ourselves we want to do something differently. right? It's mostly it's autopilot. And I think what got me was Two things was fatigue of continuing to try to light up the scoreboard, mostly for others, right? Trying to prove my worth to somebody else so that they would think I am enough. Therefore, I am validated by the voice of another person as opposed to understanding that voice truly had to come from me. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't accept it, right? So that was one point, and the fatigue set in. And I also finally developed the courage to get in front of people. Like you've had the amazing courage to do to ask people to surround you and mentor and coach and give you perspective. And I had some people who had truth gene inside of them. They sat around me, and these were folks that weren't easily impressed. And I thought I was an impressive guy. At least I was telling myself that story. Okay. And they said, look, You got to quit BSing yourself. And I listened to these individuals and I looked at their lives and I saw what I hadn't seen in my own. I saw individuals who could be quite successful in business and have family and have health and have experiences. I was taught or at least conditioned to believe was either or. You either work and then go see your family, right? But they're separate. And that making money was arduous and painful and it's difficult and not many people have it. And I just, hey, that's how I was taught. Mm-hmm. And I started to see through the examples of others who sat around the table with me that maybe there was a different story, because they certainly had a different story than I did. And so it was the willingness to say, okay, I'm going to take my Superman cape off. I'm going to take a look at the story and the identity aspect within that story. And one of the strongest forces in our lives is our desire to remain consistent with who we think we are. More importantly, often is who we want other people to think we are. Mm-hmm. And often that other people think we are aspect of getting outside validation had had me running. And it was the simultaneous impact of fatigue and having these individuals sit around me at the right time. To say, look, man, maybe this is another story. The only person you're fooling is yourself. And learning that the hardest person to get to know and the person I need to spend some time getting to know is me. And that might be the most difficult journey any of us go on. Mm-hmm.
0: So you you talked about theft and in your readings, your blogs, I've read about your concept identity theft. And this brings me to now specifically around money, because you've touched on a few things. 50 million is not enough, 150 is not enough. And I see this all the time with money in conversations, in different articles that I see posted about how to double your income, how to triple your income, how to quadruple your income or how to build a profitable business. It's all these external things that are happening. And I see very little conversations around our story. What does money mean to ourselves? And in terms of a money context, what do you think the risk is to ourselves if we adopt these stories that I think, if you can correct me on the identity that, but maybe they're stealing our stories, like these external things like money, wanting to get more achievement. What impact do you see happen on even your clients you work with when they're living a story that, like you were, not living the story that may be authentic to yourself? And like, how does money influence that from your perspective?
1: Yeah, terrific. Well, from my, my own experience, the value of money, how to understand money, the history of money, what money means, all those, I think, key fundamental elements that your gifts are bringing to the surface for us. I was never exposed to have taught about it. It was a binary thing. You work, you get money. That's it. And you need the money to pay bills or impress people, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and as sometimes can show itself, right? Even people you don't like, as you may have heard. So what's interesting is how I was conditioned or lack thereof of condition to look at it. So the story that I built was built off of the characters in my life story. I adapt or adopt the beliefs of the big people in my life. And the model I had, because we hear what we see, the model I had was you just work and you work. And you work, you pay your bills, maybe you do a couple of things. This is difficult. Not many people can do it. You need to be grateful for it. So the playback in my story was oh man, doing that thing is hard. Okay, that's the way you have to do it. Then that's how I'll do it. I'll do it hard. And so what I went after was yes, I had passions around the categories of life that I was in sports and business and fitness. At the same token, it was still business. And over-indexing, putting everything into that, cost me a lot of relationships, cost me a marriage. But that was the model. That was the story I reinforced and looked for evidence that, okay, the only way to accumulate and to prove my self-worth to other people was to accumulate. And that means you have to work hard. And what is not unusual is somebody has a similar type of story that they build or they create. Or put another way is that money is an intention. I am going to drive hard, push hard, accumulate, get stuff, right? Maybe create security and and those types of things. That has one impact on one's behaviors and actions. Over time, I had been reminded of, if that's the intention then I'm going to miss some of the juice of life and spending time with people I love and family and my health and my well-being, I had learned to realize that what if money was an outcome? What if money was a result? On the first intention, what I found was I built a life around work. And then I tried to squeeze life in around work, right? Make some time here this night, this weekend. What I, the series of setbacks in life, which are the great lessons taught me is perhaps there's a different way. Maybe one could construct the life they want and decide how, as a result of that, money could be generated. And it was all the story that I had to shift and how I was telling myself and then get around people who knew enough about the category who could teach me that, dude, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's your fear of the unknown. What you don't know is going to scare you. And the longer I was going down the road of unknown, in my case, in terms of my relationship with money, I didn't want anybody to know what I didn't know. And as long as I kept accumulating and lighting up and having the material possessions, the identity I created for them would say, hey, this guy's cracked the code. When I feared that if I slowed down, the house of cards would fall and everybody would find out I wasn't good enough. Maybe that story I heard as a child was accurate.
0: It's so interesting because like, again, going back from your past and the company you have, you have everything you want, but yeah, that inner dialogue, if it's not filling you up or serving you well it's dysfunctional. And like you said, we look at so many people who think, ah, they've got to figure it out. They've cracked the code. And I think it's so toxic that we see like on social media, Instagram, that these people are living these beautiful lives. And it just reinforces how not good enough I am for not having those things. And I kind of want to dive into our money stories and creating them. But before, well, it's in alignment with something you said here is through our work, actually, with me really getting challenged by the work we've done to identify what my story is, I realized that I had to start, first start with what are my values. And as a result, I think something about this conversation can take away is through the work I've done with you, recognizing my story, my values, I've come up with my own revised version of my money purpose or my financial why, which is to get more life out of my time. And now I use that as a lens to make financial decisions because it aligns with my values. But you said something that just, it made the hair stand on my arms is squeeze life around work. And I think that resonates so much with people. And then we're conditioned. This is a story that we have is you work your nine to five and you got to squeeze as much as life around the perimeter. And that's the way it is. But I mean, a lot of stuff we've talked about is what's on the other side if you just think of things differently. And you've done that leaving your company. So my question now is going to core values. When we first started working, I thought we had, I had these dialed in. I knew what my core values were. And then when I actually was challenged to talk about them, I realized, man, damn, this is hard to actually sit and like understand what are my core values. So maybe can you talk about the importance of the correlation between our core values and our money story? In the context, again, with I'll use your iceberg, you always talk about the iceberg. So I look at the tip of the iceberg is how we act like you've done, but that's how we spend our money too. But below the surface is where the core values are. So, yeah, maybe touch on how you see people best identify those core values and then create some alignment with those actions above the iceberg.
1: Yeah, happy to write and sort of to give further illustration to your listeners I have learned through deep work on myself, a lot of study in science, and never any quest for understanding and knowledge of what facilitates change in a human being to get them to go in the direction that they say they want to go, right, to be fully self-expressed. And so of the learnings along the way is maybe this is how it's most powerfully manifested for me and maybe for those that are tuned in can see it in themselves. So stress is a great example of a way to look at things. Often if there's stress or anxiety or unease or disease showing up in somebody's life, and we can tend to blame it on a circumstance or a particular individual. And while they may that outside entity may have triggered it, often that outside entity is a mirror reflection of something that is inside of us that's unsettled. Mm. Or we wouldn't be able to recognize something outside of us bothering us unless it was inside of us. And so what I've seen over time or what had happened to me was I was very and, and still am, but in a different approach. Goal onto and this benchmark and this bank account and this automobile, there was stuff. And so I was looking for those as the guiding light of my worth, if you will. I wasn't looking for experiences and what gave me juice and what made a day special. I was looking for this had to be a thing, right? But once mm-hmm. you get the thing, it's like the car in the driveway, day and a half from now, eh, it's not the greatest thing anymore, right? So I had someone ask me one point in time, as often comes from somebody else, is what's most important to you in life? You stand for right. What's of value to you? Which then got chiseled down to what I now would say is: if I say to anybody who's experiencing stress and not getting where they want to go, and somebody's bothering them, or whatever experience or interference they're having with their life, question I'll ask is: okay, so tell me your five highest values. Simple question, very difficult to answer, and the great majority of people I ask don't really have a ready answer. And that's not a criticism. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity. It's an awareness. So then we'll say, okay, well, let's take a look at what your five highest values are. Now, people will throw out words that are altruistic and maybe have a good cadence or connotation to them, right? It could be love and generosity. and There are various things that sound value-oriented, and they are. One of the ways I seek to help people and help myself is the camera question you and I have talked about a few times. Mm -hmm. I'm following you around with a camera for six months going forward or six months going backwards. No matter what you tell me, If I study how you spend your time, I'll know what's most important to you, despite what you tell me. So values are a verb, right? It's an action thing. So when I recognized what my values were by spending time, questions, conversations, getting coached, seminars, I realized that I wasn't clear on what they were. And often stress comes from a value being violated, Mm -hmm. but not even knowing that's what it is and blaming somebody else for that discomfort. I can give you an example of what had become and still is at the top of my value list is freedom. Now, I didn't have a consciousness and a word for it at the time, yet I was driving towards it. So as I got clear on what it was, I started to see that I must be correlating freedom with money because it'll keep stakeholders happy and it'll keep employees happy and it will drive a business forward and it will show me successful and it will give me the liberty from that voice I'm running from as I started to piece it together. And what I realized was, yeah, but that's not sustainable because mm-hmm. it's not fulfilling. It's outward focus. It's, it's fulfilling mm-hmm. the identity I want other people to have right? when they think of me. And I realized that freedom was important. And I was actually having stress in my life. And then I started to recognize that the core value of freedom was under attack. My time was being infringed upon. It was more time traveling outside of the country. I had a relationship that I wasn't invested in. My- mistake in understanding the value of of a loving relationship and these things were pulling energy from me and I didn't recognize the harder I worked, the less freedom I had I just Mm -hmm. made the treadmill go faster on what was going on in my life and so the pullback to recognize what my top five highest values were what they looked like on a movie set or on a screen if you follow me around with a camera I then came back to if I was to refine and reconstruct my life strategy how do I perpetuate these values And how do I know when they're being lit up? Or how do I know when they're under attack? And one of the ways to sort of pressure test it is the recognition of when a value is under assault or it's being violated. Now, suppose someone in this example tells me that family is of their highest values, and that's a very common one. Mm -hmm. That that's a great one. Certainly you want to drill that down as okay, tell me what that looks like in behaviors and actions and how you measure that, right? And we don't have to get to that detail, but you can see stress on a person show up when they see the family value violated or the incongruence. I'm striving to pursue this in my career. It means travel time away from the family, this type of commitment, these type of hours to provide for the family, but get families the highest value. And so there's conflict. You can see it in the example. I've seen it with people. Um, At the time, we could be inside of restaurants, depending on where you live. This is a time when, let's say we're at an outdoor restaurant. And someone could be exposed to a conversation that there was conflict amongst family members. And it's within vague earshot, but one could chemically feel that there's something in the space that's unnerving. And it's the correlation and the connection. I say, well, someone's in the vicinity of their highest, one of their highest values being violated by something going on outside of them. So there's evidence of it all around us. So I began to get very focused on what's the expression of these values that fulfills my life's quest or life assignment, not so much to accumulate things, but perhaps to accumulate enough to be able to allocate things, right? To give out and to give back, right? And to have that self-fulfilling wheel of life that uh, you don't get to keep anything, right? But you can't give anything away unless you own it, right? And I had to embody it, understand it, live it, and then hope to share it with others like you've given me the time to do in our relationship.
0: Yeah. Oh, so much in there. I really appreciate you sharing that. And a few things I actually want to go back and talk about. First, I got a comment, but maybe can you just define for people who don't know incongruent or your values are incongruent?
1: Sure. You know, so perhaps I'll keep it simple. And that's it's not for your viewers or listeners, that's for me. <laughs> i got to keep it simple. It's very normal, call it common, and maybe we'll use goal setting or New Year's resolutions for those that use that language, right? And for the most part, I believe people know what they need to do. Like if someone says, hey, I need to get on a fitness program, what should I do? I think most people have a pretty good idea. be ought not to be eating that, I ought to get some exercise. What's the best form of exercise? I say, what's the one you'll do? right? Mm -hmm. I I think we know. So an incongruence is when I tell myself I'm going to do something because I know I want it. I believe it'll be good for me. Maybe it spooks me a little bit. It certainly sounds good at a cocktail party. And then as time goes by, I don't do it. And I give myself an excuse and I let myself hook. Over periods of time of that behavior, we may not vocalize to others a goal, a dream, an ambition, a resolution because we don't want to be held to it in the event we want to give ourselves the out. And so I'll make the promise to myself, I won't tell anybody else. I'll break that promise. Now, I won't think it's that bad. But what I'll find is I'm holding others to higher standards than I hold myself. We can see in the business environment, you said you're going to get this done. What about that? What about this? And really what that is, is a mirror reflection. And it doesn't mean that person doesn't need to be accountable. But really, it's a reflection of, am I doing the things I said I was going to do? Am I consistent? So the incongruence is if you would draw a line from the top of your forehead in the middle, straight down, right, to your connected feet that would be aligned, right? You'd be congruent. The distinction is when my head, I tell somebody or tell myself something, but my feet go in the opposite direction. So I'm out of alignment and it causes stress. I used the word stress earlier. I'll tell you another recognition or manifestation of stress is not doing something I told myself I was going to do. And then I'm Story up, you talk about stories. I tell people how busy I am. The dog ate my homework. Noah said, Build an ark. It's raining, bring in the animals, <laughs> right? And we do it to ourselves, right? We're our own obstacle course. So that's a little bit of it.
0: And, you know, since we've been talking about incongruence on in our conversations, it's really, really made me think of the incredible correlation, which of course makes sense, though, is with personal finance, where I just feel like so many, and I speak from experience, I thought, like you talked about, I thought I was aware of my core values, but I wasn't really. And the discontent I had was around me acting incongruently around them. And freedom, you talked about freedom. And for me, yeah, freedom was like, I'm a financial planner. I got to save. I mean, this story I was telling myself is you got to save. You got to be like saving up. And you're a good financial planner when your accounts are big and impressive, When I started thinking like, "Ah, geez, I have a four and a one and a half year old. Like I have, the kids love me to death right now. And like, this is great. Why am I creating life outside of work to fit them in? And like, that's freedom right now. I started seeing, sure, it's not in the sense of retiring at 65, but I really started to see that my Ukrainian heritage of farming in Alberta really got me thinking about, I got to save, I got to save, I got to save. And then I truly value time with the family. And that was incongruent with me. And thanks to the work that we've been doing, I've been able to get more clarity and kind of get my spending in alignment. And that's something I I see all the time is that people are buying these things, telling themselves that story that I need this and I'll be happy. But I think the missing part is that non-alignment between spending and what actually makes me happy. And it's so interesting you talk about like the employer perspective of If they're not doing something, but then they get hyper-focused when their staff's not doing that. And I've seen that with couples, like one couple around money, like one spouse is going to get so upset with the other one because they're not doing something. But deep down, they're not doing it. And it's that reflection. So I've been thinking this is a good idea. You talk about the camera walking around and I'm interested in your thoughts. If I see someone's expenditure, like their credit card bank account, I can make an interpretation on what they value based on what they spend. Do you think there's a lot of some value in someone trying to sit down, go through what their values are, and then doing that exercise, pulling out their credit card, and just analyzing how much of their credit card swipes are feeding that value, just to determine if they're incongruent or not. And I guess that might bring up emotions. Say someone does that, they're listening, like, I'm going to do that. What would you suggest they do or be prepared for when they start probably getting some resistance, some emotions they might not be used to dealing with?
1: Yeah, man. Great question, Several then, so sorry. No, no, it's good, man. Look, I did the same to you, right? It's it's both the passions coming through, man, coming out in me. I would offer this, so I could only imagine. I'll just share with my my own experience, right? And someone would say, "Look, I'm looking at your credit cards, wife, and I'm looking at your bank account, and I'm looking at you know the way you're spending your money. You tell me you want this, and you're doing that. Stop it. I'm not sure that's the best approach for people. It's Mm -hmm. sort of like." You said you wanted to be fit and you're out here in the bakery, you're ordering this big cake. Stop it. It's not that people intellectually don't get it, right? Everything we do, I've come to believe over time, we do because it gives us a benefit. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And as crazy as that sounds and behaviors that we might think of as destructive, I think the example I shared with you is my dad was a heavy smoker, was in that tobacco business, and the intensity of chain smoking, I couldn't believe it. And I've come to believe in that particular category That cigarette was his break, his deep breathing, his version of meditation, his escape Mm -hmm. from things that he did because it made him feel good. So say, stop. I don't know. I'm taking something away from the person. I think what's worth considering here is all behavior is belief-driven. So while I might bark at somebody about their behavior or say, this is the behavior that you ought to take, similar back to the conversation around resolutions or goals What tends to get people by about the 15th or the 18th of January in the terms of New Year's is the underlying story and the fatigue that goes with it is, look, I haven't done this before. I don't really believe I can do this. That's subconscious, subtle internal voice that finally says, this doesn't feel normal. I want to go back to feeling good. I'll start this again on my favorite day of the week tomorrow. If you peel that back, and I'm just going to give you my version of it, that has applied to me is I recognized in my, let me tie this back into really the purpose of this conversation around my story around money was if I play back that voice, I got inserted in me as a child, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you'll never amount to anything. So boom, self-worth. So mm-hmm. whether it was 50, 100, 100, 200, it doesn't matter because I have to prove to some entity, still my father, people in the community that I'm worthy. So, I'm going to have to hit these numbers and buy this automobile and travel on this plane because that will then demonstrate to others that I'm worthy. But deep down, I didn't believe it. So, Mm -hmm. it was never enough. You could never throw enough logs on that fire. Mm -hmm. And what I've come to understand, and this is just my version, but perhaps something here for your listeners to pull from when I boil it down, and I'm going to be very respectful, but I have to only simplify it the quest to develop financial wherewithal, strength, understanding, to build a plan. I think thousands and thousands and thousands of people have done it. It's a repeatable Mm -hmm. set of skills, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm simplifying, but it applies to every area of our life. Fitness, relationship, Mm -hmm. language learning, right? There are models out there. People have done it before. What prevented me from this category understanding it was my fear of what if it then validates that I'm not really good enough, that I'm not smart enough, that I don't know really what to do. So if I keep lighting up the scoreboard, I don't have to face it. Mm -hmm. And people will believe it. And therefore I'm valued. And hey, I figured it out. But then you ask me what happens? Well, fatigue sets in. I eventually say, well, maybe that plan got you here. Depending on where you want to go, it's probably not going to get you there. And Mm -hmm. so the self-worth and the belief that underlies each of the behaviors was the deep dive in the iceberg you talked about to recognize, wow, I have built this belief and repeated it day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out for 40 years, and if I'm suddenly going to change it, I'm up against 40 years of memorized associations of who I am and what the world is. So no wonder I'm going to get tired within two weeks. It's two weeks against 40 years. So I didn't understand. that. I had to build the reps, right, like going to the gym. You don't know that workout when you look in the mirror after that workout. Did it work? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's the same if I didn't work out, right? But if I accumulate those and stack them, the habits, then likely it will get me the result I'm looking for.
0: You made me think of a a guest I had. He was a musician from Hawaii who lives and travels the world and plays guitar. And really money's not a big part of his life, but he's just the happiest guy. But we were talking about, like you were talking about the self-worth in the company and building it up. And this was just as COVID was happening. And he's like, he said, he actually sang a song. And in the, one of the lyrics was like something about the danger of the rat race crippling or putting your self-worth in the rat race. And when it crumbles down, like, what do you have left? And I just thought it was so powerful and kind of in line with what you're saying is like, if I'm running from that and putting everything I have to build that company for that validation, what happens when the company goes away? What do I have left? I'm looking at the time here. So you mentioned about the habits and oh, before I do that, I got a quote. Sorry, your quote on values. I don't know if there's any more you want to add to it, but I really like this quote and I want to share it with the listeners. But our lives demonstrate what matters to us most. Life doesn't lie. What we place the highest value on is what our life will reveal. And I just, that one always sinks in with me. And I don't know if there's any additional comments you want to have around just power values and what your quote is
1: talking about. Yeah, thank you, Sean. You know, when someone says, here's what you said, I I always wins first thing. Yeah, Yeah, so it was put to me this way. I think it's how it's put to me. This is how I currently interpret it. You know, if I, like you in some ways, hopefully you're asking your listeners to do here by virtue of this podcast is, you know, stop a little bit, you know, take a breather, take a look around, where are you? I think all of us are heading someplace, at least I hope we're heading someplace. Sometimes that place gets pretty fuzzy in the day-to-day activity of let's say the grind of life. And yet with your help and this kind of work that you do, perhaps we get clear on the destination, right? This is who I want to be mm-hmm. two years from now. And what I found is the paradox in my work, in my life, was I could get really clear on what I was trying to get to. What I wasn't clear was really where am I starting from? <laughs> So I kept ending back up at the same spot. So in a bit of this discussion that may be helpful is what I think you're asking people is to take a hard look at life. Yes, the money piece and the most hated F word, right, and and having financial fulfillment is a part of it, but there are many parts of it. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I find most valuable, and you reinforce it through your language, is to know where I'm starting from, build a plan, not to feel bad about it, (laughs) not to feel good about it. It's sort of like being at the airport. In those days, we could go to airports, right? Mm-hmm. And making sure you're leading from the right gate because you can't get to where you want to get unless you know the departure area, right? And so the understanding of oneself. So part of that is that departure gate is coming back to your values-based question is, if I want to know what you are, what I am, what somebody is truly committed to, then let me spend a couple of days with you. You can't use words, right? I'll see your environment. I'll see the mm-hmm. people you're around. If I turn words back on, I'll hear your language, your choice of words, your results, your outcomes, and I'll see the conditions of the game of your life. That will tell me everything I need to know about what you're committed to. Now, you may want to, or an individual may want to, in any case I wanted to, argue and defend and justify. It just is what it is. If I recognize that what shows up in my life today is everything I'm committed to, that's daunting. But the same token, it makes me responsible. And if I'm responsible for something, I can do something about it. If I blame something outside of me, the my boss, the job, the virus, then I become a victim. I give my power away. So the value side of things to help me understand is what's most important to me? What are the gifts I've been given? What's the highest expression of what I believe my true values are at this stage of my life? And they evolve over time. How do I bring that forward and not put the opinions of other people ahead of my own? Mm. And that's a hard as simple as I hope to make that Mm sounds, it's complicated. It needs a lot of reps, right? You Mm -hmm. and I have been working on this for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. It takes reps, man. And and in that work that we do together, the value for me is I get to make sure I'm repeating my own lessons, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) And and listen to you and think, man, am I reaching him where he needs to be? And then how am I learning from you, Mm -hmm. right? In order to bring my life forward, right? What you and I have touched on and what I'm very clear of, man,
0: The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Mm -hmm. Oh, that one is true for me. (laughs) With the values thing, I honestly think after 10 years being in the financial industry and doing a lot of 10 calendar years, but the amount of reading and research and designations that I've accumulated have always pointed me towards teach people how to invest more money, teach people how to spend less money, teach people how to save more, pay down debt. Well, that's not even always in there, which it should be. But I honestly feel like the most important thing around our money is there money or like a relationship with ourselves and money relationship and the story what we're talking about, which mm. I feel is created by identifying those core values. Yet, we never talk about like financial planning 101, understand your life story and your core values and create a life around that. Spend your money around that. And I just think, I, again, I thank you for the work you've been doing because That's been able to change my perspective 100%. And it seems strange that, yeah, the first conversation I want to have with people now is like, what is your story? What are your values? And then we can talk about the money side after. But really, I've learned is when I know what my core values are and what I really like to do, saving some money and spending some money on it, it's a lot easier when it's congruent. And so the work we've done, you've heard me talk about the most hated effort for three years, finally being able to launch this. I just thank you because a lot of, not a lot, pretty much 99.9% of the feeling you've provided me when I put my values in alignment is what I want to share. So again, I just, as we come closer to the end, I just want to thank you for your work. But I do want to touch on your perspective on habits. So we've kind of talked throughout this conversation about, I was talking about this money purpose. So I really think it starts with understanding what is your life story making sense? Is that story something that you desire? Is it in alignment or congruent with your core values after you identify it? But then when we're going through change like this, can you speak to the power of habits and your perspective on habits and the importance or non-importance of them?
1: Yeah, sure. I can certainly give you my journey on it. So you and I have talked about this a few times. There are two people to look out for in life. If you look out for these two people and you give diligent thought to them, your life can be pretty special. And those two people are your current self and your future self. Now, today is the future that we have lived into by virtue of what we've done, we have done leading up to today. Mm-hmm. Our, our actions, our conversations, our behaviors, when we've arrived. So we've lived into it. If we step on the gas pedal, we have a default future mm-hmm. based on sort of the guiding light of how we've been living our life. And these are habits or Our daily behaviors that predictably... We could say if I look at a year, three years, five years, based on how I've seen this individual and myself lead their lives, I can probably forecast within a reasonable margin of error what life will look like. That's not a bad thing. That's not a good thing. It's just a thing. Unless I get really clear on what I'm trying to get to and remind myself, certainly I'll arrive, but it might be a little bit different than I originally thought it would be when I thought about it a year ago or two years ago or five years ago. So today is the result of every habit I've been practicing up until today. Mm. And there is a reinforcement of my commitments. If I am healthy, I've been practicing specific habits. If I feel knowledgeable and educated, I've been specific. Working on habits, if I am out of the doghouse and feeding well my my marriage and my relationship, that's a series of habits, right? So I'll take it out two years. Let's go two years, and this is our future self. Do it from the perspective of the moonshot, Right those of you who can remember that story of when here in the U.S., it was said we're going to put an Individual on the Moon. The thing that drove that conversation forward for the then President of the United States was to have an individual say to the President, President Kennedy at the time, who had been told time and time and time again by his advisors, you can't tell people we're going to put someone on the moon. You can't say that to the country. You can't say that to the world. We'll be embarrassed. When a very wise man who came from a different country got an audience with the president said, Mr. President, you couldn't expect anything different. People are advising you, have never been to the moon. How can they tell you how to get there? Hmm. He said, but my strong encouragement is, is you go out to the moon, fly out there, stand on the moon and look backwards. He said, if you look to the moon from earth, there's a lot of debris. There's a lot of interference. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot in the way. But if you fly to the moon and look backwards, there's nothing in the way. So then you have to ask yourself a series of questions, hence my two-year version of myself. Where do I want to be two years from now? If I look at it today, man, there's a lot of stuff in the way. I'm busy. i got family. i got work. i got the mm-hmm. virus. What's going on? But if I stand out there and look back and say, well, okay, this is what I want to be. If I take care of this current version of myself, then I would encourage him or her to do this one thing today. Because if I want to get here, it's a series of actions and behaviors. So in the case of President Kennedy, how did I get here? Well, I need a spaceship. I probably want to fly back. Okay, what kind of spaceship? Well, there's no atmosphere. I can't parachute anymore. I probably need food. And then you work backwards, right? So what do I need to do today? So from a habit standpoint, if I want to become knowledgeable in a language or in finance or start a podcast, it's easy to get discouraged where I'm not at and then look at social media and realize how far behind I am. Or I can say, here's one thing I can integrate into my current busy life that's a repeatable pattern that may take 10 minutes, that may take 20 minutes, that if I did it over time, much like exercise, the cumulative impact of that is all arrived. So again, if I look backwards at my former self, well, the distinction between my former self and my current self, hopefully there's improvement or I've repeated the same habits for another year or two. So that the habit of things is, do I have to think differently, read differently, meditate, exercise? There is something I need to do, not 12 hours a day, Exercise is not 12 hours a day. Language is not 12 hours a day. Studying money is not 12 hours a day. There's 20 minutes here and there's 30 minutes here and there's 15 minutes here. And I track it, write it down, have something you can check off, make it visible so one can stack the victories. And again, it's much like the exercise thing. If I have a workout or don't have a workout, that day I'm going to look the same in the mirror. Mm-hmm. But it's the key of impact of what I do or what I don't do that's going to get me either to the moon right, or just shoot me off the side of the earth. So it's controlling the controllables. So if I pull back and say, this is one thing I can do with consistency day in and day out, day in and day out, and the cumulative impact will get me there, I won't know until I practice it. And it's all practice. What I'd add to it is, if a person is 35, 40 years old, we're surrounded by people who we have trained to see us a certain way. Mm-hmm. So if I am in an environment where certain people have come to know me a certain way, when I seek to make a change... I'm going to become inspired, but most people around me aren't really going to see it. They're going to address me as they know me. Unintentionally, they're likely going to be holding me back. We call it in the northeastern part of the United States, is it's the crab trying to get out of the crab bucket. We're going to pull that crab back in because we don't want to be left alone. So if I want to make a shift, a subtle shift, I would be wise to introduce that shift to somebody I trust. I'd say, Sean, look, dude, I've got to get my fitness program going. Would you help me? Now, you're likely going to say Yes. What I owe you is, here's how I would like you to help me. I need to equip you. You'll likely say yes, but if I don't tell you what to do, it's going to be very awkward. Every Friday, send me a text, 1 to 10, how did you do this week? So I know you're going to check in on me. That's my accountability. I don't want to let you down. It might let me down, but I don't want to let you down. And I'm going to practice. And I'm not going to worry about it, get it perfect. I'm just going to get it going. Three times this week is a lot better than one time last week. And if I can keep that up, maybe I'll add a fourth. Right, maybe I'll try something different. So the daily behaviors that have got me here show me my, my life shows me my behaviors in action, right? A day is your life in miniature. So mm-hmm. I know from my perspective, unless I'm ticking the box, on my values each and every day, then I won't get to be the person I want to be. Mm-hmm. Right, It's exercise, it's reading, it's meditation, right? It's, it's the growth and development. It's time with my children. But I can't keep it in my head. I got to keep it on the paper because if I keep it in my head, I'll lose it. The head is a terrible file cabinet. Got to have it visual. Neurologically, it makes a difference if I put pen to paper in terms of having it stick.
0: Mm-hmm. On your day is life in miniature has always stuck with me. And just to something to your point, and I know we're coming to our time here, but about that accountability partner with changing and building those habits in. And I love the exercise analogy because I know everyone has done this. They've worked out. They've taken their shirt off and go flex in the mirror. Like, wait, can I notice anything? And yeah, it's not there right away but I know when I signed up for my first full Ironman, legitimately the day my second daughter was born, wasn't the ideal time to do an Ironman. But I remember having many conversations with you about do training every day, every day. And sure enough, a little bit of training, not that much. uh, I was able to complete it. But along that way, I had so many people question to your point, why are you doing an Ironman? Why are you doing an Ironman? You, You have two young kids and you know, one of my values is health. And that was a way for me to live to that core value. But also, family is another core value of mine. And it made me not work past five o'clock for the entire year. And I spent more time with my family. But again, I, I don't mean to keep coming back to this, but it's a big part of. Who I am now is it was the conversations with yourself and Sarah on your team about like, oh, this is what happening. I'm questioning, is this the right thing? And it's I guess it's the crabs pulling in. So I think that's an important thing when we talk about training, like our changing our financial systems that we're used to, or questioning that stories that there's gonna be crabs that pull it in. It might be ourselves. And cause that this work is harder than trying to save more. But I think it's just so important because, like, if you taught me, this is my life story, and something that you've said to me that just infiltrates my soul is. When my kids are older and they're going to call me on stage, how are they going to introduce me? And that has just been another, like one of the biggest personal finance tips I've ever had. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with money, but has everything to do with life. And for me and most of the people I deal with, life is not about accumulating money. Sure, it helps to facilitate purchases. But first and foremost, it's that it's that life that's important. So I thank you for today's conversation.
1: I, I got more out of it than you did not listening to me, but listening to you. <laughs>
0: So I call this the most hated F word. What do you think is creating this hated F word, finances? Why do we run from finances? So like, why do you think we have this most hated F word? And it doesn't have to be an F word that you respond with.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you look, I very much appreciate the question. We can only give you it through my lens, right? The story I tell myself about what it is. You know, if I look at sort of the North America, because that's where we are, the hierarchy of earnings and income, right? The richest 1%, right? Can do anything they want in life. And maybe there's another one or two points beyond that that can live amazing lives. You get further down to the majority of the population that will have to be continuing to work or maybe have limited financial means. And so we are often, or my own experience has been that, man, it's really hard to crack into that. This is a special breed. They've got something I don't have. There's a road ahead of me that's going to be difficult. Maybe I won't be able to fulfill my dreams and goals and aspirations. Maybe I'll settle. And so I think that there's an association, that value of a human being is associated with where they fit on that hierarchy of earnings. And perhaps it's hated because it's a maybe it's a reflection of who I thought I was going to be and who I wound up being or who I might wind up being uh, of how people see me, what I'm afraid of in terms of how people will see me. And therefore, if I'm going to settle for that story or reinforce that story, then I don't need to spend a lot of time studying it because I don't want to pour more salt into the wound of my self-worth aspect. That comes to me from my version of how I've hated the F word.
0: Yeah, I'm just making a note here. Thank you. Now, this is probably a hard question just because you're so well read. Certainly, in the, I'm going to link to your books, Unopened Gifts. It could be your gifts, but in alignment with our conversation, is there a book that you would recommend based on the concepts we were talking about today? And certainly, your books are what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. So, great question. Recently, I was asked, what's your favorite book of all time? And my response to that person was, it's the book I'm presently reading. They said, well, what's that? I said, I don't know. Let me go look on my shelf. (laughs) Uh, I think that there's, you can probably see over my shoulder, right? I've got books all over my house. My wife continues to chase me to to sort of clean some of the library aspects that we have in various parts of our home. You know, it's a great question. A lot of it is dependent on sort of the profile of an individual, Mm -hmm. the type of learner that the individual is. A book for me might be a podcast for somebody else. A podcast for somebody might be actually a course with somebody. Somebody might need a one-on-one perspective. So for somebody who values the story in terms of where to pull lessons from, I wrote Unopened Gifts, the first version, the second version, and now we're on the third version, to tell a story of an individual whom forever in pursuit of what we call the brass ring, right, the gold, almost loses everything he had because he didn't realize how much he had. Mm. In that story, and I'll I'll share others. This is this is not a book sale,
0: right? No, no, yeah, but this is perfect.
1: If there's a visual on our podcast today, for those that see or those listening to it, I'm holding in my hand a large water bottle of sparkling water, right? Left hand, right hand. I'm holding the bottle cap. I looked at my life day in day out and day in day out at the bottle that was in my left hand that was always filled and overflowing with what was wrong, what wasn't working, what I didn't have. And the more I focused on it, the more it bubbled over. Mm. The bottle cap, which is the size of a thimble, was what I had to be grateful for. And I didn't spend much time on it because there didn't seem to be much room in there or much to put in there because this one on my left side was overwhelming. I was taught the hard way, as most lessons come, that I could reverse my hand position, that how I saw things was up to me. And I could practice getting reps in filling the bottle by putting it in my right hand, mm. recognizing That I would say this happens more often than not, Sean. The things people have told themselves that they want for their life. For the most part, they already have. I wanted a home and I wanted a family and I wanted a career. I wanted experience. I I wanted vacations. Maybe the roof has got raised in terms of now what that looks like, but for the most part, we've got exactly what we focused on and what we said we wanted. And so my story of of writing about this character was for him going through the journey, which is a bit of my story, focusing on what I didn't have as opposed to what I had, searching for more of it, missing the juice of relationships and real experiences because the quest was keep pushing on. There's got to be something else. What's next? What's next? What's next? To validate my worth. And I missed things. My relationships became via text. I was very fit, but I wasn't very healthy. Right. I'll send you your text for Christmas. Right. And so stories, I think, are great in that they the individual in that case can pull from that story wherever they are. There are also how to's. Right. And there are many of those. Maybe we can list them in a link. Yeah. Where that person is.
0: I don't want to interrupt you, but oh, that story you gave again, this is like the second or third goosebumps. (laughs) Exactly. The pursuit of money problem. You know, your bottle, Mm -hmm. your bottle analogy is that. Really, and this is what I've been wrapping my head around with this idea—the most hated F word—is that it's all in our mind. And like you said, we have what we need right now. And I'm thinking here as a financial planner, we're so guilty of giving projections to people, showing the massive disparity gap between, like, oh, you, if you want to retire, here's what you need. I'm going to shame you for, probably unintentionally, but shame you for being like you don't have near enough of money. You got to start saving. Instantly, then we go into scarcity mode and don't enjoy what we have right now. So I actually think some of financial planners, we have big responsibility in perpetuating that feeling of not having enough right now or looking just at a grateful the small bottle cap.
1: Great point. And I'm sure it's like any group trying to help the person get where they want to go. An unintended outcome could be making me feel bad for where I am right? And mm-hmm. I wouldn't put that on the planner or the coach so much as my interpretation of the world, or maybe that validates my in, my insecurities. If I listen to that, as you say that, one of the great things that I think you and I have spent time on and will continue, if only for my benefit, <laughs> right, a great part of climbing mastery mountain, right? In life, which is the mountain without a top, you never get there, but you're always climbing, is to be able to be with wherever you are, any relationship with any situation to be with it as it is and as it isn't without a need to change anything Uh. at the time that you're in it now it doesn't mean there's not aspirations and dreams and goals right we need something that gives us juice and yet in my case if i'm always running towards something therefore running away from something and missing experiences Mm -hmm. time goes by Uh, and so perhaps as you describe that i think there is value in sharing with someone Hey, look, let's take a look at, let's switch the bottle to the other hand. <laughs> let's look at what you got. Does it doesn't mean you don't want more. Does it doesn't mean you don't need more. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, but look, there's a lot to be grateful for here. And maybe it's the, and look, this is out of my wheelhouse. So bear with me as I struggle through it. Yet if I talk to someone about the abundance in life and slow down long enough to say, yeah, there's chaos. And if I watch the news and if I look at the social media and what's going on with quarantine, oh, yeah, what I focus on expands. But if I pause long enough and I think of the beauty of my children and the fresh, warm air outside here in California, right, and how far that I've come from that former self and what I truly have to be grateful for, the gift of this conversation with you. If I I give myself permission to do that, that is full filling. Now, I may need something later. Or I need something tomorrow. But the only time I have is now and then it's gone. <laughs> right? So I think you, you bring up a good point. It certainly, it speaks to me.
0: Uh, honestly, Mac, thank you. That statement answered my next question. And because I'm wrapping up, so I'm going to use that as an answer. But I just, every time I hear you talk, it just fills me with energy and joy. And I just appreciate your insight so, so much. And all of our conversations, sure, we minutely talked about money. But I think again, like I said earlier, we talked so much about being present in our lives, which is the outcome back to your idea of making money a company is money can be the outcome, but living life is important. And the outcome is the money that helps us facilitate it. But if we miss the living part, you know, I don't know what the opportunity cost as a financial term is, but that's huge to miss 10 years of my say 30s from 30 to 40. There's no way to quantify that number of actually not living in line with, with your values. But as MasterCard would have said, that's priceless. So I think this conversation is much needed in the personal finance space. I think I need to do more of these conversations. And thank you so much for spending the time and giving us an extra 12 minutes of your time.
1: <laughs> I You're welcome.
0: I would like you to point people towards your website and where they can find copies of your book. And I say this from so much personal experience. My staff working with Mac's team has legitimately changed my life. So thanks, Mac. And where can people find more about you, your books, and any other information about you and your team?
1: Yeah, thank you, Sean. Great gift. giving me your time. Probably this portal with which everything is linked would be through the website. Two ways to access that if this goes out. To your listeners and viewers, it's my full name, James McPartland, right? It's James McPartland is M-C-P-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, jamesmcpartland.com. You can also get there through, what we call a lot of our work is access-performance. And access performance is recognizing, I think we all have a chance to see is we have access Inside of us to whatever we want, if we have the courage to look in there, so it's mm-hmm. access dash performance or jamespartland dot com there's on there there are resources, videos, articles, certainly with kindness, there's information about our book, and we can help away what you're doing, Sean, for your clients or pushing this podcast forward. Happy to do it, man, I love what you stand for.
0: well, thanks so Thank much, you. Mac. I really really appreciate it, and we'll definitely be chatting soon.
1: Forward to seeing you, my friend. Take care. Thank you for the time.
0: Every time I have the opportunity to talk with Mac, I get inspired. He makes me feel so good. And one thing that Mac really does well is he allows us to access our unopened gifts. And that's the name of his book, but it's very fitting because I feel like Mac does such a tremendous job in doing so. Here are my three main takeaways for the show number one, the power of a story. Yes, our story is our greatest financial asset. It really is. But we need to ask ourselves, what stories are we telling ourselves? We all have these internal narratives that are running on autopilot that for the most part, we don't even realize they're happening, but they impact how we think, feel about money and ourselves. And the question is, where do they come from? And often it's from a child. And in many occasions, when we don't understand where those um, stories came from, we run the risk of letting our child version of ourselves make decisions, think for us. And when that happens, that's when we get into trouble financially or when we get into trouble in our lives. And when I say trouble, when we start to veer off the path that we really want to go. And as Mac talked about, trying to outrun these stories by, say, for example, keeping ourselves busy and distracting ourselves is only perpetuating the issue. Mac really talks about the hardest person to understand is ourselves. And that speaks back to the power of understanding story. So the power of story is our greatest financial asset. It really is because that's who we are. Number two, understanding where you are and where you are going. Mac gives a great example of at the airport. He says, if we want to know what the future version of ourselves are, or where we're going in life, that's our destination. We can know what the destination is. But in order to get to that destination, we need to know where we're at right now. And his example would be, we need to know what terminal to get to if we want to go to a certain destination. So Mac talks about if we want to look at ourselves in two years from now, we need to define who that person is. But more importantly, well, not more importantly, but just as importantly, we need to know where we are now and what we can start doing on a daily basis that's going to, move us towards that person that we see in two years and too often we look at that future version of ourselves or that desired version of ourselves and think oh I can't do that that's going to be so much work we see other people doing that on social media and we tell ourselves this story that I can't do that but a big part of getting to that destination is getting to the right terminal and getting on that plane and that is as simple as doing daily things that are going to move you towards that future version of yourself and the third takeaway is stress is a result of a value being violated mac often speaks about the camera question is if someone looked at the six months prior to today with a camera and followed you around and then the six months ahead of today so in the future and followed you around what would that tell us about your values how you spent your time did you do things that you said you valued and that goes into the second part of violating our values is living incongruently with our values and that's when we do and say things that are unaligned or misaligned with what we actually want And that often presents itself with money. We say that we value certain things, but yet we start spending money on things that we don't actually value. And as Max says, that's where the stress comes. When our values are being violated, that's where the stress comes in life and in our financial life. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you're enjoying the content, please head over to Apple and Spotify and leave a rating and review as it really helps bring good guests week after week. Thank you so much.